Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Mark. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen? Amen. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our Lord and Savior tonight. <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for all you do for us each and every day, Lord. All your generous provisions you provide for us. Let us see you with everything, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us and doing for us we could never, ever do for ourselves. Amen? I'd like to thank all the faithful people that serve in the ministry, one body. Many you know who you are. Thank you for being so faithful. If you have a cell phone, please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study. And we will start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us this beautiful day and this beautiful opportunity tonight, Lord, to gather together as your family to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord. And place your name above all names, Lord, even our own. As all of us fight to put you first in our lives, Lord, thank you for getting us here safely. Thank you for your generous provisions that you provide for us each and every day. Let us never lose sight of that, Lord. Help us, Lord, to always see you in everything, Lord. We're just so grateful that you promised you'd never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. And I pray that you open our hearts so you can mold us, Lord, and shape us into the image of your Son, Lord, so we can glorify you here, Lord, and build your kingdom. We pray for the people in Florida, Lord, that might be going through some adversity, through that storm, Lord, as there's always storms in life, Lord, as they're all designed to bring you closer to them, Lord. Let them realize that you're in charge, Lord, and if they turn to you for salvation, that they will be forgiven too, and all the storms will be calm, Lord. And we're just so grateful for everything you do in our lives, Lord. I pray that you take the bitterness out of our hearts tonight, Lord. And let us offer forgiveness to one another, Lord. And make allowances for each other, Lord. So we can hear a crystal clear message through your word by your spirit, Lord. And let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit, Lord, and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that I pray. Amen and amen. All right, we're going to stand and worship the Lord. Brittany's going to come up and sing. And we are going to get started.
Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Amen for that. Thank you, Jesus. He lives in each and every one of us. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know if I mentioned that you do have a cell phone to silence it. Did I? Okay. It's been a long day. <laughs> Glad to be here. It's good to see everybody tonight. All right, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to back up to verse 14. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we think we're going to get away with that. <laughs> As always, the Holy Spirit will be taken over as I go into the Scriptures, so please prepare your hearts and your minds to receive the message that the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. Amen? Amen. Okay. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 14. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So it tells us we're being made holy. We're becoming separated. It's a one, it's something that we happens till we go home to be with him. We're becoming like him. We're being perfected. Thank you. Thank God it's a process, right? It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. And verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says. This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, or in the Greek, after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And he's quoting Jeremiah 31, verse 33a, right there. Then he says, I will never again, Remember their sins and lawless deeds. And again, he's quoting Jeremiah 31, verse 34b. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Amen? Jesus became the final sacrifice. We no longer have to go offer sacrifice. Now we become living sacrifices for him. Not to get saved because we are saved. Amen? And then they're telling us a call to persevere in verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter a heaven's most holy place. Why can we enter that? Because of the blood of Jesus. By his death or through his flesh, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Can you imagine that? Our guilty consciences have been sprinkled clean from his blood too. Amen. Do we get convicted still? Yes, but no guilt. Guilt and condemnation is done with. Thank you, Jesus. But the conviction is good. We all need conviction so we can transform and change. Now, to the blood, okay? And since we have a great high priest, verse 21, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. What's the water? Pure, the word of God is the water. Yeah. Not the water, not getting dunked. No, it's the water, the washing of the word of God. We get, it washes our minds. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Amen. God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. So he keeps his promise. He can be trusted. Now look at verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love 
and good works. Now, those aren't conditions of salvation. Those are the results of our salvation. As we encourage each other and motivate each other and acts of love and good works shows that we belong to Him and that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Amen? That's the proof. And let us not neglect meeting together. Here's another thing right here. As a believer, we should always want to meet together. The Holy Spirit always gathers the body back together because the Holy Spirit calls us to do that. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now the Bible tells us in the last days the birth pains are going to get faster and faster. You can see the way the world's going right now. It's in a tailspin, godless. Everything going on out there is like, Whatever you think is right in your sight is good. History merely repeats itself. What happens now has happened before. It tells us in Ecclesiastes. And the result will be the same. Judgment will follow. Yeah. Now look at it says in verse 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. What is he trying to say here? If you, do, if you keep on sinning, right, after we receive knowledge of the truth, there's no longer, we can't go to Jesus to get forgiven because we keep sinning deliberately. Deliberate sin is not cleansed by the Lord, amen? It's an active will of disobedience, and the Lord doesn't forgive that kind of sin. That's what the Bible tells us. He forgives us when we want. Confess and repent of that sin, then the forgiveness comes, amen? He's not going to forgive us while we keep sinning. He forgives us after we stop. Again, amen for this. That's why it says there's no other sacrifice. Let's keep reading what will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses back in the Old Testament was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy. He's saying, why are you not acting like a, a true believer? Why are you acting just like an unbeliever, like it's common and unholy? After we receive the Holy Spirit, we are to become separated. And there should be able to tell the difference between a believer and a non-believer. Can I get an amen for this? And have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. That's like saying... Look, you're giving me the Holy Spirit, but I don't want it. I want to live my life my way. I don't want the Holy Spirit anymore. I never wanted it. So you never believe. Now look what it says. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. Deuteronomy 32, 35, he's quoting there. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. Christians fail to understand that God is going to judge his house before he judges the world. He judges the Christians that belong to him. It says it right here. The Lord will judge his own people. Deuteronomy 32, 36. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Jesus. Or when you first accepted him. Or when you were first enlightened. Remember how you remained faithful? Even though it meant terrible suffering? Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confidence trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. What's the great reward? That peace of mind and heart as we're living down here, as we wait for his return. That's what, that's what the reward is from believing and trusting him is peace of mind and heart. Not outward rewards, inward rewards. The things we so desperately need in our lives. Can I get amen for this? Now, look at verse 36. He's going to tell us what we need. 
Patient endurance is what you need right now so you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. What does he mean? As we grow as Christians, as we get into this life and God starts testing our faith more and more, it gets harder and harder for us. We have to start to trust him because he's pulling away our emotions. He's trying to tell you, you're going to trust me by the facts of the Bible, not by your emotions or how you feel. God is not a feeling. He's a fact. And you have to trust him. And as you grow, he tests our faith more and more. He stretches our faith. We have to expect this. It's a good thing. And then you will receive all that he has promised. That's what the promise of what? The promised land. That state of mind that we're stable in whatever's going on. There could be hell breaking loose everywhere. You're stable. You're trusting the Lord. He's in control. I understand how this works. And I understand my sin nature. And I understand other people's sin nature. And I understand God. He's going to get me through. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I'm going to trust him and relax. That's him. He's the only one that can do that. And you have to trust him. The problem is, it's a lack of faith that keeps us all wavering like this in our problems. How many of us still, oh, I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that. There's no trust. There's no faith. You're saying you're sitting in church, you're learning about God, but you're not applying any of it. And when the trials come, you're not stable. You're like the, a wind of doctor tossed by the sea. The only time you're stable is when everything's good. God says, no, I'm going to make you stable when everything's bad. That's what my job is to do. That's what the Holy Spirit does. To trust Him and not the people. You're amen here. You're getting this. It's a good scripture, right? Then he says, verse 37, For in just a little while, the coming one will not delay, and my righteous ones will live by emotions. There it is. The righteous ones that I saved will live by their faith. And they'll put their emotions to death in this in nature and walk this life in, in faith stable. God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He's given that to you. You already have it. It's up to you whether you want to use it or not. Don't let your emotions take away the facts of what God has done. He's made you righteous through the blood of Jesus. Saying that you can do the right thing and make the right choices because of what Jesus has done for you and he's given you the power to do it. Now, and it says, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. So will there be people who turn away? It says it in the Bible, in the last days, people are going to turn away from the truth. The true faith, they're going to follow seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Because they're not going to see or feel God. They're going to see the world in a tailspin. And they're not going to trust the Bible anymore. They're going to walk away from the faith. And they're going to go back into the world again. And start worshiping the Antichrist. Because they're going to think this. Because the Antichrist is going to come. And have a human solution to the world's problems. And people are going to gravitate from that and leave the church. They're going to trust in human beings over Jesus. That's what it says. It's going to happen. And, and he says, I take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. And he's quoting Habakkuk 2, 3 and 4 right there. Now, here it is right here. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. You see it? You, have a, you can get destroyed as a Christian. You can turn to your own destruction. We are the faithful ones. Now look what it says. When you're faithful, who's what will be saved? Our souls will be saved. But you have to remain faithful. Can I get an amen here? That's the Bible. Tell, tells us, teaches us the truth. Don't, are there going to be people who turn away? Absolutely. Are they saved? No, because their souls are not saved. Because it says we're the faithful ones and they're going to turn to their own destruction. They're going to reject it and turn away from it. If you really have the Holy Spirit in you, you can't do that. You can't reject it and turn away from it. The Holy Spirit's got a seal on you. You can't turn away. You might want to in your flesh, but there's no way that you can. Because you're possessed by Jesus now and not the devil. 
But our flesh always wants to turn away and get a solution because the, the um, tangibility of our intellectual mind wants to see some progress out there. But no, the world is going to get worse and worse, so our faith has to get stronger and stronger in the Word of God. Amen? Amen. That was great scripture. All right, let's go back to our study now. We are beginning a new chapter tonight. Does anybody remember? <laughs> what chapter are we in? Yeah, we're on chapter 8, yep. Mark chapter 8, yep. <laughs> yep, we finished 7 last week. <clears throat> Everybody with me so far? This is good. Hebrews is a good book. It really is. Because people are going to turn away. All I know is this. I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking right here. I'm gluing, I'm gluing myself to the church. Because this is the safe haven for us. No matter what I feel or what's going on, I'm staying right here. Because the Bible says this is where the safety is. The church. The body of Christ. We need to stick together here. The devil wants us to divide. No, we're in unity. Out of love. Unconditional love for one another. Are we going to have differences? Yes. There's nothing wrong with agreeing to disagree on issues. But the main issue is we all believe in Jesus, that he rose from the dead, and that he's our savior. That's what keeps us together in the spirit. The flesh is always going to find differences. That's what the problem is. When we come in the flesh, we find differences with each other. But in the spirit, we're all unified. Thank God when we go to heaven, there's going to be no more strife, right? They're going to be all, all, all spirit. No flesh. This, this finally going to shed this and get a new glorified resurrected body without sin in it. Oh, imagine, just imagine waking up with bliss every day. No, no anger, no hatred, no depression, no sadness, no whiny. No whiny. I'm doing so good. I go to church every week, and why am I going to go through this? I guess you're not learning anything if you go to church. Because when you go to church, you are going to go through this. Because the devil hates you. When you walk out the door, it's on. You're going to use your Savior to protect you, not your flesh. Your, your flesh has no power out there. That's what has no power in it. That's why we come here to lose our flesh. And to walk by faith. I walk through them doors. I know I'm hell's out there. It's the devil's world. We should expect it. Everybody wants to live a calm, peaceful life down there. The only way that's going to happen is if you trust God. Because there is no peace out there. It's turmoil. All right. We're going to go into verse 1. But I just want to explain something. In verses 1 to 9, okay, this is a different miracle from feeding of the 5,000 described in chapter 6. At that time, those fed were mostly Jews. This time, Jesus was ministering to a non-Jewish crowd in the Gentile region of the Ten Towns. Jesus' actions and message were beginning to have an impact on large numbers of Gentiles. Okay? That Jesus' would compassionately minister to non-Jews was very reassuring to Mark's primarily perfect Roman audience. So, Jesus was already starting to go to the Gentiles in the Gospels. Can I get any amen for this? So he was already working on them. All right. Jesus feeds 4,000. About this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. Jesus had a heart. See it? They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. Okay, before we go on, let's, let's, let's bring this down to right now. Do you ever feel that God is so busy with important concerns that he can't possibly be aware of your needs? Just as Jesus was concerned about these people's need for food, he is concerned about our daily needs also. 
At another time, Jesus said, your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Right? Matthew 6.32. He already knows. Do you have concerns that you think would not interest God? Nothing is too large for him to handle and no need too small to escape his interest. Okay? God's interested in the tiniest details of our lives. Amen? And he's with us. Now, his disciples replied. Now listen now. They just seen a miracle, by the way. And he says, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? They just seen him do it. And now they're doubting him again. How the heck are we going to do this now? See how fast our faith turns to doubt when another issue arises? When another issue arises, our faith turns to doubt. How fast, right? Even when they were in, um, in the wilderness, right? Moses went up to the mountain for a few days. They said, oh, we're going to make our own God now. Where is this Moses character? They started building an idol right in front of them, right by themselves. And he was only gone a couple of days. That's how fast we lose faith. That's how fast, even us. You get a blessing and a miracle, and then you always have to understand after a blessing, there's going to be a counterattack. The devil is going to try to come and steal the joy from you. So he's going to put an adversity in front of you to see if you can handle, if you still have faith in the Lord. And people get discouraged. You have to understand, after a blessing comes an adversity. Always happens. After the blessing comes the testing, so you don't walk away from him. You have to understand the principles of the Bible so you don't walk away. Everybody wants to get blessed by God all the time like he's a genie. No, it doesn't work that way. He simply gives us the power to handle the adversities in a godly way. All right. Now, in verse 4, how could the disciples experience so many of Jesus' miracles and yet be so slow to comprehend who he was? How could they had already seen Jesus feed over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, like we just read in 6.35 and 44, the 44. Yet, here, they doubted whether he could feed another large group. Sometimes, we are also slow to catch on. <laughs> right? Although Christ has brought us through trials and temptations in the past, we don't believe that he will do so in the future. Is your heart too close to take in all that God can do for you? Don't be like the disciples. Remember what Christ has done and have faith that he will do it again. Amen? Amen? <laughs> we are in, um, by the way, Mark chapter 8 verse 5. If you're looking for the scripture. Yeah. Yep, that's where we are. Mark chapter 8, verse 5. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I don't want you flipping through the Bible and not knowing. You'll never yeah, find it if I don't tell you. <laughs> no, we already, read, we already went there. We're in the study now. All right, thank okay? <laughs> now Jesus asked, verse 5, How much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. Okay. In verse 6, Jesus gave thanks for the food, and he serves as a model for us. Life is a gift. And the nourishment life requires while it comes from the work of many hands, conveys God's material blessing for us. Mealtime provides an opportunity to thank God for daily needs met, for taste and beauty, and for human company and divine companionship. Giving thanks keeps us from regarding a plate of food as a, a trough, our stomachs as bottomless pits, uh, as a trough, or our stomachs as bottomless pits, and I gather to eat as a bothersome interruption. 
Keep up the good tradition of praying and thanking God before your meals. Let your gratefulness to God be genuine. A lot of people forget that, right? Not, we, I always pray now and thank God for the food. I thank God for everything. Because it's through His mighty hands that everything we have comes from Him. Our ability to work, our ability to come here, ability to think and comprehend and to read the Bible, all comes from Him. We should thank Him all the time. See, we don't thank Him for the ordinary daily things when we should. There's people that can't read. There's people that can't be here. There's people that don't know God. We, he opened our eyes and He saved us. Just that alone is enough to worship Him from the rest of your lives. Amen. And He's going to give us more anyway because He loves us. But human beings in their nature always want, 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 want. They want more from God. Okay, in seven, verse 7. A few small fish were found, a few, too. So Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. They ate as much as they wanted, imagine. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Immediately after this, he got into a boat with his disciples and crossed over to the region of Dalmatua. Or Dalmenuta. Okay, let me get that right. <laughs> Dalmenuta. <laughs> Wherever that might be. Okay. <laughs> the Pharisees demand a miraculous sign, like they didn't just see one. Okay? They're demanding a miraculous sign when they just Jesus just did one. Look. <laughs> when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him, testing him. They demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven. To approve his authority. Okay, before we go on. The Pharisees had tried to explain away Jesus' previous miracles by claiming they were done by luck, coincidence, or evil power. Here they demanded a sign from heaven, something only God could do. Jesus refused their demand because he knew that this, even this kind of miracle would not convince them. They had already decided not to believe. Hearts can become so hard that even the most convincing facts and demonstrations will not change them. You see the miracles of God all the time out there. Human birth, babies, people getting saved from sickness and diseases that can't be explained. And they still don't believe it's from God. They'll still try to explain it away because their hearts are so hard that they cannot come to believe that there's a supernatural force out there that can do a miracle. That's how hard people's hearts are to Jesus. You mention any other name, you mention Jesus Christ, they start hissing at you. Why? Because the devil is already inside them. And they hiss because they don't want to hear about Jesus because the devil is controlling them and they don't even know it. So what do we do? All we can do is pray that God opens their eyes or causes some kind of adversity to break them to the point where all they can do is look up from there. There's no other solution. And that's how they'll find Jesus. The blessing comes through the brokenness, not the blessing. I don't know about you, but that's how I found Jesus. Through the brokenness, through the adversities. No, when we're getting blessed, we, we tend to not pray to him as much. But when there's a problem, we're on our knees constantly asking for help, right? That's why he has to do it that way, unfortunately. Okay, let's keep going here. In verse 12. When he heard this, Jesus, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why did these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? 
I tell you the truth. I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and left them, and he crossed to the other side of the lake. Yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now they would think they were, he was talking about bread again. Okay? He was telling them, he was warning them, right? Before we go, listen up. Mark mentioned the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod, while Matthew talks about the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay? Mark's audience, mostly non-Jews, would have known about Herod, but not necessarily about the Jewish religious sect of the Sadducees. Thus, Mark quoted the part of Jesus' statement that his readers would understand. This reference to Herod may mean the supporters of Herod, a group of Jews who supported the king. Many supporters of Herod were also Sadducees. Yeast in this passage symbolizes evil. Okay, the yeast of the Pharisees is the evil. Right? That's why they said the unleavened bread, right? Because the yeast, what, permeates it and makes it expand, right? That's what sin does. Sin comes in and expands and it takes away our salvation. Look what it, look what it says here. It makes it rise. Our sin rises up like a, a rotten apple. You put a rotten apple in a basket with all, with all good apples. The good apples don't make the rotten apple good. The rotten apple makes all the apples bad. So that's what he's trying to say. That's what sin does. Yeast. It's like yeast. It spreads. A little leaven leavened the whole lump. Right? Just as only a small amount of yeast is needed to make a batch of bread rise, so the hard hardness of the religious and political leaders could permeate and contaminate the entire society and make it rise up against Jesus. You see? Makes sense, right? And that's what they did. They rose up against Jesus. That little bit of yeast of the Pharisees permeated and caused all the people that even seen the miracles not believe in Jesus. That's why it's important bad company corrupts good character. You can't bring bad company and think you're going to make it good company, the bad company will make you bad. That's why it says to stay away from bad company corrupts good character. It's easy to pull someone off the table, try to pull someone on. You can't. So what do you do? Stay away. You pray for them to come. But you don't go and make the mistake of following them because they can take you out. Very dangerous. That's why there's strength in the church. We have to stay with like-minded individuals so we don't get off the path. <laughs> okay. In verse 16. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. <laughs> Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Jeremiah 5.21, he's quoting right there. Don't you remember anything at all? They've just seen all these miracles. And they're still, they, they couldn't see the spiritual stuff. See, they were blind to spiritual things. So was the unbelieving world. They think it's a coincidence. When you become a Christian, there is no coincidences. They're all divine appointments. <coughs> Even the bad stuff. Amen? Because it's made to mold us and bring us back home to God. To welcome the adversity because it draws us closer and it builds our endurance. As we grow in Christianity. Not try to get around it. Go through it. That's why if you're not taught anything but religion. 
you'll never be able to change. There'll always be problems. You're always, you'll always be doing rituals, but never no heartfelt relationship with Jesus. None. It's all empty. And that's what religion teaches. Nothing inward, all outward. How you dress, how you look, what you do, all this. Okay. So why are you arguing? Don't you understand yet? All right, in verses 17 to 18, now listen. Jesus rebuked the disciples for their hard hearts. Today, the hard hearts believe, number one, that poverty is always caused by laziness. Helping the poor only enables them. Two, that worship is best conducted in one way, our way, which has worked very well for 40 years, thank you, and need not be changed. Three, that evangelism doesn't apply. People will never change anyway, so we don't need to do it. Joining the hard hearts require only one pledge. You must refuse to listen to Jesus' questions. Don't be a hard heart. Be open to Christ's truth. Let him soften your heart. There's nothing beyond salvation out them doors. Nothing. No one, nobody. And God causes some people to evangelize. All right, Not everybody has that gift. Some people are really good with it and can explain it. And people listen to it. Some people don't have that gift. One body, many parts. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism. Or else, imagine if, if, the, if the body just did evangelism, there'd be none of the other parts of the body to use. We all have a certain gift, encouragement, right? Works, whatever it might be. So don't, because you do something, don't expect everybody to do what you do. That's what people do. I do this, so you should do this. No. I do what God tells me to do, not what you tell me to do. God called me to do this. This is what I do. I don't go beyond this. This is what God called me to do. This way, if I try to do more, it'll burn, I'll burn out. And this is what people try to do. They try to take on too much, and they burn out. And then instead of having joy doing it, they get all <sighs> frustrated because there's no joy in it because it, it becomes too much works of the flesh and no enjoyment in the spirit saying, this is what God called me to do, so I'm going to enjoy it. Amen. That's why one body with many parts there's a reason why. There's a lot of parts to a human body. Verse 19. When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. <laughs> Don't you understand yet? What's seven? What does what does seven tell us in the Bible? What is it? It's completion. Exactly. Mark is a good book, isn't it? Yeah. Seldom studied. That's why I like studying this book. <laughs> Yeah, because each one puts a different spin on everything. And it appeals to different crowds. Okay. Let's keep going here. Jesus heals a blind man. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. And they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. So I guess, you know, his vision wasn't totally, you know, he couldn't totally see yet. But he said Jesus spit in his eyes. That's, you know, I mean, Jesus, that's like to say... Who knows how God's going to do it? I mean, you can go anywhere, something, you know, jump in a puddle or something and start walking again. Who knows? Could be a healer. We don't know how God does it, you see? That's what it says, mysterious. That's why don't try to figure him out. If God's going to do a miracle, don't expect to figure out how he's going to do it. 
Because it's not unexplainable. You can't explain the supernatural. So don't try to. Just welcome it. <laughs> Say, thank you, Jesus. You did for me what I could never do for myself. Like make me think clearly. Make me trust. Give me faith. Give me the ability to forgive other people. To make allowances for others' faults. I could never do that before. It was an eye for an eye before with me. You do something to me, I can't wait to get it back to you. Or somebody else is going to get it back to you. Now it's like, hey, by the grace of God, I go. <laughs> Any given time, I could fail. I would want to do one to others that I'd want them to do one to me when I fail. Not if, when. Who's not going to fail in this room? Everybody, exactly, right? So what do we do? We forgive and forget. Yeah. Forgive and forget. If you don't forget, you'll have a forgiven. You're keeping score. You have to forgive and forget. Like it never happened. Or else you'll keep record. And, and, and every time you see the person you've forgiven, it'll still be in there. Unless you forget about it. I call it holy amnesia. And God will give it to you. If you really want to forget, and your heart is right, you will forget. Because he's given us the heart, the new heart that forgives and forgets. Amen? The heart of God. Just imagine if Jesus didn't forgive and forget our stuff. Holy moly. This place would be on fire right now. Just think of our sinful ways each and every day after our salvation. And he forgives. And he forgets. And he gives us a brand new start every day. His tender-hearted mercies begin afresh every morning. Do you do that for others and yourself? Or are you keeping score? If you're keeping score, that means you're not you're using the wrong heart. You're using your heart and not God's, which he just gave you. And the Bible is the anti-rejection medicine for that new heart. You know when you get a transplant, you've got to take anti-rejection medication. Well, when God gives you his heart, the Bible is the anti-rejection medicine so you don't go back to the old one. That's the tangible way I can put it. Because if you don't get in the Bible, you won't be able to forgive and forget. And if you don't believe the Bible, you won't be able to forgive and forget. That's how you know if you do believe. You're able to forgive and forget and move on. But if you can't, well then you're not going by the Bible. You're going by the flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is... You don't really know how weak your flesh is until you try to say no to it. Then you realize how much your flesh takes over your spirit that quick. But spiritual maturity is what solves that problem. Understanding the word of God is the reality. Not what you see or feel. Okay, let's keep reading here before we close. So Jesus, verse 25. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. And his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored. And he could see everything clearly. It's the same thing with us, right? We believe. It's a little cloudy for a while. As you mature, you start to see the reality more and more. You can see it more clearly as you grow. Same idea. So before we close, let's just reiterate on this. Why did Jesus touch the man a second time before he could see? This miracle was not too difficult for Jesus, that's for sure. But he chose to do it in stages. Possibly to show the disciples that some healing would be gradual rather than instantaneous. Or to demonstrate that spiritual truth is not always perceived clearly at first. Before Jesus left, however, the man was healed completely. Makes a lot of sense, right? Maybe it was because... Sometimes it happens in stages or over time. Sometimes there's not that instant deliverance that we want. He says, hey, I'm going to heal you, but it's going to take some time. So we can make peace with that, right? So that's the examples that the Bible gives us. All right, we're going to stop there. We're going to continue in verse 26 when we get back together. We're going to close. Anthony, you want to come up and close us in prayer tonight? And then we're going to watch a video.
bow our heads. Dear Lord, thank you, Father, for this message tonight. This was a great message. Mark is a great book. We, um, I'm getting a brain cramp. I just want to thank Pastor John for this message tonight. This message was very, that we have to have forgiveness in our hearts. And we have to, uh, and it takes time. It takes time to take in and what, what the Bible says. And we just have to keep, keep ourselves in that word at all times as we learn it more and more and more because the more we're in it, the more we learn it and the more we memorize it and the more we live by it. And uh, that's what Jesus wants from us and that's all he wants. He wants us to follow him and worship him and just be with him at all times. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Anthony. All right. We're going to stand and watch a video. We're going to close.